0: Good morning, New Hope. It's always nice to see you. It's an absolute pleasure. One of the things I've suddenly realised is that we're already in March and seasons are about to change, although I've been thoroughly enjoying the summer. But I've also noticed in my life, and so have you probably in yours, that we go through seasons. Sometimes we have amazing seasons like a long, good summer. And then all of a sudden, since there's a change in the season. And it may be autumn, or for some of you right now, it could be winter could be a winter in some of the areas that we've been looking at. Actually, we sung about that today, and that's the one beautiful thing, one of the key things I so delight in, and I'm so appreciative of God in my life. Because it doesn't matter what the season is, what like we sung about today, irrespective of the season, I can find a reason to thank God, and it lifts my heart when I focus on Him. As you know, we've been in a series called Transformed, and it's a seven-week series. And first, all, we looked at spiritual health. We looked at how to move towards spiritual health. We looked at physical health. We looked at mental health. And last week, we rounded up on emotional health. Today, what we're going to do is we are going to look at relational health. How to transform the relational health of your your relationships. And today, so the, the, the title I've put is Facing the Fears That Ruin Our Relationships. The Fears That Ruin Our Relationships. And we're going to go all the way back to Genesis and look at the very first relationship. And that's where all the problems started in relationships. So let's go back to Genesis 3, verse 6. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to follow along. If you haven't, you can follow along on the screen. I'm going to pick it up because most of you know the story. But I'm going to read from 6 through 19. So Eve. She ate some of the fruit. And then she also gave some to her husband, Adam, who was with her, and he ate it. Immediately, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together. By the way, if you know what the fig leaves look like, they're not very big. (laughs) They cover themselves up. Some of you need a lot of fig leaves. Then they heard the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from God among the trees. But God called out to Adam, Where are you? Adam replied, I heard you coming, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then God asked, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I've commanded you not to eat from? The one tree in the whole world? See, because Adam and Eve had to have a choice. God had to give them a choice. And then a choice to eat it or not eat that And it's the minimal amount of um, potential that he had to give them there to have that choice so they could have freedom of choice. Just one in the whole world. Just don't touch that one. Who Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Adam says, you gave me this woman. And she gave me the fruit, so I ate it. Okay. Then God said to Eve, Why did you do this? And Eve replied, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. So God said to Eve, Because you've disobeyed me, you'll have greater trouble in pregnancy and great pain in childbirth. Does anyone want to give a testimony to how that felt? <laughs> And although you'll desire your husband, he's going to lord it over you. Then God said to Adam, because you also disobeyed me and sinned with your wife, the ground you work is now cursed. And though you'll get to eat what you planted, your fields will have weeds and thorns and thistles. And for the rest of your life, you'll have to sweat And work hard to get your food until you yourself are returned to the dirt that I have created you from. Now, there is an enormous, I mean, there's a, a month, a year's worth of theological content in that alone. Today, though, I just want to focus on the relational truths. I'm going to extract those. And in this story, we see there are three basic fears that will show up in every relationship. Three basic ones. And you can use these principles today with your friends at work. You can use them with your girlfriend or your boyfriend or in a small group. But these three fundamental fears degrade the positive potential that you have in, in, in your relationships. These three, and in all of our lives. The first one is this. My fear of exposure makes me distant. Have you ever asked yourself, why can't I get close to people? Why can't I make a connection with people? Now, I'd really like to be closer to my wife. Really? I mean, we're like two people living under one roof, ships passing in the night. I really want to get closer to to my husband maybe or or to the people in my life, my children. I feel there's a distance there. Now the truth is, the reason why this happens is there's a lot in you that you don't like. There's a lot in me that I don't like. Don't feel bad when we're together. There's a lot in me I don't like and there's a lot in you that you do not like. And the closer people get to you, the more they're going to see your blemishes, right? It's easy to look good at a distance. It's when people really know what's going on. It's easy to see your faults the closer people get to you and your weaknesses. And since you don't, you, you yourself don't even like your foibles and your blemishes, you certainly don't want other people to see your weaknesses. So we keep people at a distance, a safe distance. Just enough to kind of, kind of know them, but not enough to connect. Genesis three nine, God called to Adam, why are you hiding? Adam said, I was afraid. Question, answer. Question, why are you hiding? Answer, I was afraid. Because I was naked, so I hid. And by the way, just... Just a very minor point here. When the Bible shows God answering a question like that, he always knows the answer. He asked the question though, so that Adam confess up. He just wants you to admit it. I used to do it with my children. I wouldn't say, well, you've done this. I said, Michelle, what have you done? I wanted my child to confess what they had done. And often it would be something, no, no, no. What have you done? And bring them back to the point of their transgression. And this is exactly what God is doing. He wants you and me to fess up, to admit it, to own up. And that's always hard. Remember as a kid, you don't, (laughs) ha ha ha. You're scared. Any transformation, any change in any area of your life, including relationships, only happens when you own up to the fact that things are not what they ought to be. And that's a hard thing to say. This isn't as it's supposed to be. As long as you think, I've got a great marriage, it it will not get any better. As long as you think you've got a great friendship, things are just fine. Things are not going to get better in any relationship. As long as you're in denial, in denial, there is no recovery, there is no transformation because there's no recognition that there's a gap compared to what it should be. So transformation in relationships always starts with owning up and being honest to God and honest with yourself that my relationship is not what it could be. They could get a whole lot better than they are right now. Now, I want you to circle in that verse a few words. Circle, I was afraid. Circle that word afraid. And circle the word hid. They go together. Because fear causes us to hide. Even as kids, you're fearful, where do you go? Whoosh, under the bed. That's what you do. Fear causes people to withdraw and hide. And fear does the same to us as adults. Now question, this is a toughie. Is there something that you're pretending not to know? Avoiding it. What are you pretending isn't a problem in your marriage? With your girlfriend? With your business partner? And maybe you're afraid of recognising that because you're afraid of actually facing the truth. And the truth is, we've got a problem. I dealt with that this week. In a particular business relationship where the shareholders were not addressing a fundamental issue and it could have bankrupted them if they hadn't solved it this week. they put it off. It's been there for months months and months and months and months and months and months. But they kept avoiding it. There's no problem here. Actually, it was an enormous problem, and they were too scared to address it. Friends, if I could say this as gently and as lovingly as I can, God always wants us to face it and not fake it. He wants us to face it and not fake it. Then circle another word there, naked. I won't get too carried away with that, but let me just go on the relationship aspect of it. I want to go from the naked, exposed, vulnerable, out in the open, unprotected. That's a scary place to be. huh? When we are afraid of vulnerability, when we're afraid of being open, when we're afraid of being honest, when we're afraid of letting people see as we really are, the effect is my fears make me distant. Just as happened with Adam and Eve. Why? Why does that work that way? Because your deepest need, one of your deepest needs is to feel loved and to be loved. But one of our deepest fears in a relationship is being seen for what we really are. Now do you know that you can live with a husband or a wife, and that's a reasonably close relationship, for 50 years or more and still keep secrets from them. Because you're afraid that they wouldn't accept that part of your life if you really were honest. So what I'm saying to you is this, is that living with somebody doesn't guarantee they are seeing all of you. Often, they are not. Now notice how fear does damage to relationships in three stages in the scriptures here. The first phrase that we're going to see here is the phrase, shame. Shame. Once they disobeyed God, the first thing that entered their relationship was shame. Verse 7a. Suddenly, they felt shame at their nakedness. And when you carry shame, you fear embarrassment almost more than anything else. Shame makes you more self-conscious. It makes you nervous. It makes you fearful of humiliation. So the first phase... and. And the damage it does to relationships is shame, and then second, there's a cover-up. Then we try to conceal our true selves because we're ashamed of it. 7B. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover up themselves. Today we cover up in much more sophisticated ways. But we all in this room still do that. What are some of the ways to cover up your fears in relationships? Well, one of the classics I know of is humour. I know a number of people in my life that have been born comedians. I mean comedian comedians. And they keep people at a distance with their humor. They're all funny and nice and it's good and we all laugh. But actually sometimes I've noticed, in fact, more often than not, people with a lot of humor will keep you at a distance and you can never come out. you can't get hold of them. You can't connect because it's the funny ha-ha's, they just wanna keep you everything's a joke. And people, some people can use humor. Again, they're funny, but they don't let people come close. Another way is people present an image of being all together. And one of the most obvious ways I'll see this is on Facebook. Most people present themselves. The persona on Facebook is entirely divorced from what's going on in their real lives. It's like the perfect me. It's a sham. You know, and it's, well, how many friends have you got? Well, I better crank my friends up, even if you don't really know them, just to make sure I'm I'm, I'm popular. Maybe it's the way you dress. Maybe it's the way you present yourself being all together, or the car that you drive, or the house that you have, or the job that you have. A lot of people hide behind that online image. You see that often also on in Instagram. So the third phrase is, apart from the shame, then we move over to the third thing is the distance from God. Verse eight, then they hid from God. Shame and fear causes us to be distant from God and other people. Keep our distance. The second fear that we see in Adam and Eve is a fear of disapproval. Look at this. Number two. My fear of disapproval makes me defensive. Now we move on from hiding to running, from excusing to accusing. We start blame shifting. I'm in the wrong but you're in the wrong worse than me, to try and lift the load off me. We start blame shifting and attacking people back. When I fear disapproval, we start pointing fingers. Well, yeah, you did that. Yeah, but you did that. Yeah, but you did this. But you did that. And we're trying to balance ourselves out here. The fact is, the more I fear disapproval, the more I'll point to others. So if you find people who are super critical often, they're covering up themselves. Genesis 3.12 says, God asked, Did you eat what I told you not to eat? <laughs> Adam answered, You gave me this woman, and she gave me the fruit. Now it appears like Adam took it like a man, as usual, and he blames his wife. Actually, if you look carefully, the first person he blamed was who? God. You gave it. Look, before she came along, you and me, God were just copacetic. We're we got it going. But look Adam, she came on, messed it all up. But by the way, you gave it to me, so you're at fault. And he kind of probably thought that was a little thin, so he started to blame her. A bit audacious trying to blame God. And Adam, as we've said many times in this church, is being lame. I hate blame shifters. That's a strong word. In my job, I would never take excuses. Reasons, yes, but not excuses. That's immaturity to excuse. Reasons I can deal with. And many of you who are managers need to focus on reasons, not excuses. It'll help your own performance in your own role. So Adam is being lame by blaming his wife. Sorry, ladies, but Eve wasn't much better (laughs) to accept responsibility. Look at 3.13. So the blame's gone, one, two, here comes Eve. And he said, the snake tricked me into eating. So she's shifting it too. She made the decision. So Adam blames God and his wife and Ian blames the snake. Great. A whole bunch of blame shifting going on. See the situation here? That often happens when relationships go awry. My fear of disapproval makes me defensive. This happens in your relationships and in your marriage regularly. If your wife says something with a hint of disapproval, there's often an immediate defensive response, right? And vice versa. If your husband says something of a slightly negative nature or pointing out something that should have been done, and you've been frankly slack while you haven't done it, there's always a reason. That's what you think. It's actually an excuse. Anyway, let's move on. You, ex- you excuse your behaviour and you accuse or defend, uh, so attack the other person. Now, there's a third fear that I see in Adam and Eve, and it's a fear of losing control. Number three, my fear of losing control makes me demanding. Demanding in a relationship. So as a result of Adam and Eve's sin, they lost control over their future. What? Well, think about that. And they lost control over their destiny. And they got kicked out of paradise. They lost their home court advantage. And they're now feeling very insecure. And the more insecure a person is, they typically demand their own way. They always want to get the last word and they want to be in control of the relationship. Now this is not a new problem. It all started back in the garden when sin destroyed their relationship of truth and trust. That's what it was in the beginning. Perfect truth and trust that Adam and Eve had with each other. And it created the battle of the sexes, which is still with us to this day. That's the root of it here. Verse 16. You'll have a yearning for your husband when he will lord it over you. And this is where the struggle began. All the misunderstanding, all the conflict, all the confusion right here. So instead of complementing one another with their differences, the wife and husband started to compete with each other. And many marriage problems are summed up in two words. Power struggle. Power struggle. Two insecure people competing for the control of relationships of the relationship. another it's, it's certainly not a whole lot of fun to be in that kind of relationship. Now, what's the antidote? Before that, I should ask a question. Would you like to move from competition to cooperation? Where you're not fighting each other, but you're fighting together against other things. Sometimes some of you felt like you're not finding the outside stuff, there's a, a storm inside your house, let alone the storm outside of your house. So the antidote that's going to transform a relationship to move in the right direction that relieves these three fears, the fear of exposure, the fear of disapproval, and the fear of losing control. Now there is an antidote to this. And this is what i to spend most of the, the balance of this message on. And the, the antidote to this Is love. Write down this. I must learn to live in God's love. I must learn to live in God's love. Live. Not know about it, live. John, 1 John 4. Wherever God's love is, there is no fear. Because God's perfect love drives out all fear. Now, you want to get rid of fear in your relationship? You've got to get God's love in that relationship. Why? Because wherever God's love is, there is no fear. Why? Because God's perfect love drives out all fear. So what I'm saying there is when God's love walks in the front door, fear walks out the back door. Conversely, when fear walks in the front door, that sense of God's love will walk out the back door. Have you ever seen? I have many times on TV when there's some house burning down. You've got all these people standing around, typical news cameras there, watching this. And next minute, the TV is there for whatever reason. But the point is, you see on the screen that all of a sudden, a man or a mum will run straight into that burning building because they suddenly realize when their kids are in there. Now, naturally speaking, no way are you going in there, but love overcomes fear boom, completely disregards it. The love overcomes it. The love for that child overcomes your own insecurities and fears and boom, overpowers it because love is greater than fear. The second part of that verse, it's a th- of, uh, of 18b, it's a thought of punishment, negative consequences that makes a person fearful. Mm, no kidding. How many times have you been afraid to tell the truth? Yeah. Because of the consequences. How many times have you been, able to, uh, been afraid of you to be yourself and tell people what you really believe? At the party. Things are going well, mixing with the crowd, you get into a conversation and all of a sudden it comes up about what you believe. About A, B, C, D, or E. You take your pick. How about sex before marriage? How about marriage, period? Because I tell you what, the world's changed since I I grew up. These days, marriage is not seen to be the natural extension. Coupling is. Shack up, don't work out, give her the flake, get another one. That is the prevailing thinking. If some of you parents haven't picked up on that, you probably will for your kids at university because that is a prevailing thinking. Fact. Crazy. But what are you going to say? How about having a date? You're on a date. Are you prepared to nail to the, your colours to the master and what you believe, where your boundaries are? Are you afraid of disapproval? Not taking it further. Or well, how about with a good friend that you love dearly? And you know they are going down the wrong road. And you sit down and you have a nice cup of coffee and it's all nice. And you kind of know that you need to get to the subject, but it's very hard. And yet you hold back the last 10% that you know if you told them would stop them in their tracks because the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. You have a responsibility to share that. Would you... Are you able to do that? Or would you not do that because of fear of rejection? So, on to the great part of this. How do I learn to live in God's love? Three daily choices. If you do these three things, it will transform your relationships. If you do these three things. Firstly, every day surrender my heart to God every day. God is love. The closer I get to God, the more loving I'll be. The further I away from get from God, the more fearful I will be. Because perfect love casts out all fear. The more I surrender to God, the less I worry. The less insecure I am. Even though things change around me in different seasons, are up and down, one when I'm up, next when I'm down. The anxieties and the fears. Now this next verse, I would highly recommend you chop out of your outline and slap it on your visor or fold it in such a way. Here it is, J. Now, Notice this. Surrender your heart to God. One. Two. Turn to Him in prayer. Three. Give up your sins, even those you do in secret. That's confession. I've blown it, God. That was wrong. And I am sorry. now, You can do that first thing in the morning as you get up out of bed. Those three things. Surrender your heart to God, turn to Him in prayer, and give your sins, even those that you do in secret, to God. Now, then notice the benefits. There's an amazing eight benefits coming out right now. Here they go. Then notice, one, you won't be ashamed. We just talked about that. Two, you'll be confident. Three, and fearless. Four, your troubles will go away like water beneath the bridge. Oh, gone, baby. Water under the bridge. Five, your darkest night will be brighter than noon. You won't be feeling down in the dumps and things look so gloomy. Then six, you'll race safe and secure. Seven, filled with hope. And eight, empty to worry. Does anybody want that? Does anybody in this room want that? That is a cool verse to remember. Maybe you put it on your visor. So every time you stop at a traffic light, you whip it down, you look at it. A friend of mine memorized 300 verses by doing exactly that. Stick it in his visor every time. Lots the traffic light's in California, whoosh, down, read, 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 Recipe, recite, recite, up. Whoosh. Next traffic light, whoosh, down, down, down. So great verse. And there are three commands and eight promises in that verse. So the first thing I do to live in God's love every day is number one, as that verse is, I surrender to my heart to God. So two, I not only surrender, I remember. Every day, remember the way that God loves me. I surrender and I remember. Trouble is, we forget. That's why we do it daily. You have to pause and remember every day the, the way that God loves you. Because if you don't feel loved by God, you're not going to love anybody else because you haven't got anything to give. The world will take it all out of you. So I have to remind myself every day what God thinks about me, which is often not what I think about me. I am wrong. God is right. The world is wrong. God is right. So who should I listen to? God, But I need to remind myself because the world washes over me all the time. Advertising, talk radio, you're just not making it, you're not doing this, you're not doing that, you don't measure up. So, four things that God thinks about you practically I want to give you. So you can, um, this will remove your fears if you remember the number one, God says I am completely accepted. Completely. And this is important because the deepest wounds are often caused by rejection. People will reject, God accepts. So we spend much of our lives trying to earn acceptance from parents, from our peers, from friends that we respect. Again, think even on Facebook, do I have enough friends? Now, at this point, I want to make a very clear statement, especially to the young people which have a and some older adults too who have a misperception and the myth goes like this if i could be perfect then everyone will like me let me say that myth again myth if i could be perfect then everyone will like me that's a myth proof jesus was perfect he was rejected. So no matter who you are or what you do, there are going to be people that do not like you. They're going to make your life hard. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. The good news is you do not need everybody's approval to be happy. By the way, you're never going to get it anyway, so it's a fool's errand trying to get it. The Bible tells us the issue is already settled. This is truth. Titus 3.7, Jesus made us acceptable to God. Wow. Wow. Us imperfect humans, having our faults and sins are made acceptable to God because of Jesus. God's word there clearly shows me I am acceptable to him because of what? Who did? Jesus did. Not me. Second, this is what God thinks of you. I am unconditionally loved. This is what God thinks here. Lots of things I can say about God's love. But the two main characteristics of God's love are this. Number one, it is consistent. It's not up and down like a yo-yo. There is no shadow of turning with him. He's not... And unpredictable. Second, it is unconditional. It's not, I love you if or I love you because. This correct sentence is, I love you, period. You never need to ask, friend, did I do enough? Did I pray enough? Will God love me today? And friends, we always get into trouble when we doubt God's love. When we doubt God's love, we get fearful, and fear introduces distance, and there's the root of the problem. Isaiah fifty four ten, my love for you will never end, says the Lord. Never end. I love that. The third thing God says about you is this: I am totally forgiven. So here's a question, why am I still holding on to shame? Before God made you, he already knew the very worst things that you were going to do. And he still loves you. He wasn't caught by surprise. (gasps) I forgot about that sin. I better send Jesus back to the cross because I forgot that one. It's not covered. No, completely. Completely. Because of what Jesus did for you, dying on the cross for your sins, I am totally forgiven. Remember the certificate of debt, which had all the decrees against me, has been nailed to the cross, stabbed in his blood, completely paid. Trouble is Satan took photocopies. And he likes to remind you of these things. But then you poke him back with this next verse in Romans 8:1. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Zippity-doo. Your sins are wiped out. God doesn't rehearse it, He releases it. Number four, the fourth thing that God thinks of you, He considers you extremely valuable. And some of you need to spend this afternoon thinking about that because somehow you've let the world depreciate you and your abilities and who you are. What makes something valuable? I could ask how much you think your house is worth. What makes a house worth what it is? It's probably what somebody would pay for it, right? And maybe if the Queen of England owned it, it'd be worth a whole bunch more too because of who owned it, apart from just the house. So value often depends upon two things, who owns it. Again, at auctions you can find, I don't know, some toothbrush used by John Lennon, probably sulphur, I don't know, who knows. $4,000, they'd throw mine in the rubbish bin. (laughs) Same toothbrush. Who owned it? A car owned by somebody famous may be worth more than exactly the same model if you had it. The owner often adds value to common things. Who do you belong to? God. You're a child of God. Second value depends upon what somebody is willing to pay for it. So here's how valuable you are to God in black and white. 1 Corinthians 7.23. You have been bought, that's with a price. You've been bought with a price and paid for by Christ's death. So Jesus Christ paid for your life with his life. That's how valuable you are. So how to remember every day the way God loves me? I get up in the morning. And I just want to remind myself of how much you love me. That I am completely accepted. Completely. That I'm unconditionally loved. And that I'm totally forgiven. And then, four, I'm considered extremely valuable and capable. And you need to remind yourself of those things. Here's the third way that I live in God's love I surrender, I remember, then every day I offer that same love to others. Every day I offer that same love to others. Now this is a challenge to some here today because you've been very happy to accept Christ's love for you. But the Holy Spirit wants to say to you, now you need to do the same to others. On the screen, the Bible says this, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. i say it again. Love each other in the same way. What was that way? That is not an option. And by the way, here she says, I, this is Jesus, I'm giving you a new commandment. This is not a suggestion. This is not optional. If you're a Christian today in this building, this is not a suggestion. If you're a follower of Christ, you must love everybody, whether you like them or not. In the same way that Christ loved you. That is, you are to accept them completely. And you're to love them unconditionally because that's what Jesus did for you. You're to forgive them totally because that's what Jesus did for you. In the same way. This is the hard stuff of discipleship 101. And you're to consider them valuable. Jesus said you are to love everybody in the same way that I loved you. Now, if you did that for a moment, would that transform your relationships? Look at this next verse. Romans 15, 15, 7. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. What does this mean? Let me say it again. I must accept everybody else the way Jesus accepted me. In fact, whilst I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. That's how he accepted me. Love everybody else like Jesus loved me. I haven't come to be served, but I've come to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. What does this mean? That I must forgive everybody else like Jesus forgives me. Not holding on and rehearsing grudges. Jesus doesn't hold a grudge against you. What else does it mean? It means that the I must value of everybody else because you know what? Jesus likes them. Jesus loves them. So if you are serious about becoming a great lover, this verse, next verse, tells you how. This, friends, is what real love is about. First Corinthians three, seven. Love never stops being patient. That's real love. Immature love is short, and the shorter the patience, the more immature that love is. Two, love never stops believing. Three, love never stops hoping. Four, love never gives up. That is how God preciously loves you and I. And that's what real love is. This is how God loves you. God never stops being patient with you. He believes in you. He's hoping for the best for your life, that you'll choose His wisdom and His ways and live by the power of His Spirit, not in the arm of your flesh, which is so weak, and continues to trip you up. And the evil desires that come from within. I mean, God never gives up on you. That verse tells us that real love does four things. Love never stops being patient, love extends grace to people. It doesn't, that's it. Two, love never stops believing, it expresses faith. I believe in you. Now, I know we've had a, lot, a tough time of late, but I want you to know I never stop believing in you. Three, love expects the best, it never stops hoping. Here's a tough question. Are you expecting the best for your marriage or have you given up hope? And finally, love endures the worst. When you think about that, that can be hard to swallow until you think and get in your mind's eye and in your heart of what Jesus did. The Son of God. The mocking, the ridicule. He went through that for us. This is not a a cushy ride. Christianity, let me be clear. If some of you are here today and you're considering Christianity, Christianity is not for weak people that just want an easy ride. What I mean by that, it's all about me. Christianity requires that you give up yourself, give up your life. And in turn, take on His mission. And this comes right down into relationships. Not running it the way I have run it in the past. But being transformed by the renewing of your mind, which will flow into feelings and finally actions. Today we've looked at how God can bring transformation in the way you think of your relationships. If you want to transform those now, I'm going to invite you to bow your head and follow me in prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Follow along with me in your mind as we pray and say something like this. Just say me too. Dear God, I admit that I've made a bit of a mess in some of my relationships. Maybe it's at work. I've treated them like my adversary my enemy. Maybe it's even with my own home, one of my children. My relationships, Lord, are complicated. You know they're broken and they're certainly not optimal. And Lord, in some of my relationship, I have definitely settled for less than best. And they need your Spirit working through me to transform them. A Godly transformation now I this morning father would like you to start by changing me deliver me from the fears that I have I've seen and witnessed in my own life how they can make me distant from those who I know I should have a better relationship with how those fears can make me defensive and sometimes even demanding so today and from each day from now on I want to as your word says clearly to surrender my heart to you and I am surrendering my heart to you right now I want to learn to live my life in your love would you please replace my shame with your love And when I'm afraid, would you let others see the real? I've let others see the real me. Remind you, Lord, of how you see me. Thank you that you accept me completely. And that you love me unconditionally. That you forgive me totally. And that you paid such a high price to save me. God, will you help me to accept others now just as you have accepted me and to love others conditionally just as you have loved me and to forgive others totally just as you've forgiven me and Lord, to value others as much as you value me. Would you say to God, God, I want to be a loving person. So help me to extend grace to those around me. Help me to express faith in the people around me. Help me to expect the best in the people around me, even at work. And to help me endure the worst when it happens. Because I want to be salt and light for you, like you asked me to be, as your disciple. I want to live my life in love, powered by your Holy Spirit, I ask this humbly in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And all those who want that said,